0: It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to ExplorationsEarlyLearning.com slash membership, or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. Hey, Jeff here. Just a little note about what you're about to hear. The Early Learning Journeys podcast used to be a standalone show I did with Tamar Jacobson. We decided to roll that show into the childcare bar and grill and are releasing the 14 episodes that we did As standalone shows into the Bar and Grill feed, so they'll be here. Uh, Also, stay tuned for fresh episodes of that show as tomorrow and I record them. Plus, tomorrow's going to pop on for non-interview episodes now and again as time allows. So uh, we're glad to have her aboard. So here's the episode. The Renegade Rules, Jeff Johnson here with Tamar Jacobson. How are you doing, Tamar?
1: I'm doing great. So nice
0: to see you, Jeff. It's great (laughs) to be seen. We have a guest coming to us from literally the future. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is the future. Only 10 to 14 hours in the future. I didn't do the math before we got started. Nicole is joining us. Um, Nicole Halton from the Australia...
2: I love that you always say the Australia,
0: the Australia, yeah. the Canada, and the United the Canada, States. Canada, the so Facebook,
2: it although it won't be the Facebook for much longer because you're, cu- you're cutting it off.
0: Not for me. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a, I'm taking a page out of your book and getting rid yes. of, getting rid of more of the social media. So Nicole, um, is uh uh, she she is uh one of the co-founders of inspired ec in australia she is the mother of three the wife of one um just
2: one for now one One, one will do (laughs)
0: Um, High school sweethearts, as far as I remember. We're going to dig into Nicole. uh, And listeners, uh, if you listen to the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast, Nicole is going to be doing some co-hosting duties because Lisa Murphy and I are having a hard time getting our our schedules to match up with all the stuff we're doing. And so I'm going to be recording with some guest hosts. And Nicole has generously decided, agreed to donate some of her time to help out with that. But um, I don't know,
2: from your recent podcast about that, um, I'm pretty sure it's just for the Australian accent.
0: Well, yeah, well. I'm pretty look, sure that's
2: just why I've been recruited.
0: Look, Nicole, that's why you're here right now, too. It's just uh, there we it's go. The, it's the awesome, awesome accent. Um, no, truthfully, people are going to find out from listening to this episode how freaking awesome you are. Um, I, I've i got some thoughts about Nicole, but we'll get into them later. Uh, Tamar, you got anything to say before we jump into... Well, well I, I just want true. to
1: say that I, I'm, I'm a what do, what do what do I want how do I want to put this I'm, I'm a colonial just like you except <laughs> I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe from Rhodesia. So. <laughs> different <laughs> so, colonial. <laughs> different colonial yes but I did want to ask where you are in Australia.
2: So I'm in Newcastle well technically Lake Macquarie we're kind of twin cities kind of right together Um, but most people would know Newcastle more than Lake Macquarie although most people anywhere else other than Australia won't know Newcastle at all Um, but it's about an hour and a half to two hours north of Sydney so we're on the coast Um, so we've got we're in a beautiful spot we've got lots of beaches and bushland and all that sort of stuff together Um, but yeah about an hour and a half to two hours north of Sydney so
0: that's kind of the best
2: reference point i think for most people you're pretty much the
0: biggest thing between uh between sydney and uh brisbane
2: yeah i think from if my memory serves me correctly we're like the fifth biggest city maybe in australia um so it's actually a pretty big place um but it's still got a very small town especially in early childhood it's a very small town um vibe everybody knows everybody um And particularly in early childhood, that community is really quite small. So, yeah, that everyone really does know everyone in early childhood in Newcastle.
0: Well, we're not going to go into much more travel log, (laughs) probably, because that's what the show is about. We're going to dig into Nicole now. So uh, by the end of this episode, everybody might know everybody there, but they're going to know you a lot more, I hope. So at at some point you were born. Pick up the story. Some point.
2: At some point. um, Yes. So I was born. um, (laughs) Somehow I was created. um, But I, my mum and dad um, already have my brother. um, So I've got a brother that's five years older than I am um and then I came along um I always say I was worth waiting for because it was a long time to wait um for me but it was worth it um so I'm the youngest child so typical youngest child kind of things going on I think um I was really lucky my brother was always a good big brother and took the rap if something went wrong if something got broken and I broke it he'd take the blame um yeah lots of those big brother things going on there so that was nice um My mum and dad still live in the same house um, that I was, well, I wasn't born at the house, but, you know, kind of came home to that house and was, um, grew up in that house. And yeah, they still live there. So that's really nice. Um, I still spend a lot of time there, obviously. And my kids get to play in the same bedroom that I played in. They sleep there in my bedroom uh, when they stay over and play in the same backyard and all those sorts
0: of things. So that's really nice. So, what kind of kid were you?
2: Ah, uh, I think I was probably a little bit annoying. Um, I talked a lot. Uh, my mom always used to say that typical old thing of you know you could talk with a mouthful of marbles underwater. Um, so I did I've talk never a heard lot. that.
1: That's not typical.
2: Really? Oh, it must. Be. <laughs> Maybe that's an Australian thing. Um, but it is. It's like you know, it doesn't matter what's happening, I could still find a way to talk. But that's changed as I've gotten older. Um, I'm definitely a lot more introverted as I've gotten older. I think as a child I was probably a little um, more outgoing and a little louder and made sure everybody heard what I had to say all the time. Um, my mum likes to point that out to me now um, with my own children, particularly my eldest, who talks nonstop about everything and knows absolutely everything. Everything there is to know about everything, uh, because he's eleven, um, and she reminds me that I was that child. So she said, "You're just kind of getting that back." Um, so I was that kind of kid, I guess. But
1: why do you, I don't think you why do you think you were that kind of kid? I don't
2: know. I just yeah, I'm I'm not sure. My mum likes to talk to, so that's probably a big part of it. My dad's a lot quieter, and I'd say I'm probably more like my dad as I've gotten older um, than my mum, although. Everyone will always say I'm like my mum, but, yeah, I don't know. I think that's changed a
0: bit over was time. Your, was your dad quieter or was he just not able to get a word in?
2: Probably not able to get a word in. I'd <laughs> say that's still the case now. Um, when it's just when it's just me and dad one-on-one, it's we're fine. But, yeah, when there's other people around, he's very quiet. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, you know, in terms of what sort of childhood I had, I guess we spent most of our time outside very typical Australian childhood of the 80s um you know we just kind of lived outside we were really fortunate um the house that mum and dad as I say they're still there now um there used to be kind of all um vacant land behind it there was bushland there were horses there was a dam with um yabbies which I have no idea what the American equivalent of a yabby is it's kind of I don't know, I suppose it looks a little bit like a lobster, but you find them in the muddy waters. Crawfish, crawfish. Maybe, maybe something like that. I'm not sure what the exact translation would be. I'd have to, I'll send you a picture of a yappy Jeff because I can see your mind going. I have no idea what this is. Some people call them a crawchi as well so that's another australian term but so yeah we used to spend most of our time kind of out there jeff's googling i can see you googling jeff are you googling what a yabby looks like
0: <laughs> Yeah, okay
2: yeah so that sort of thing um so we'd spend a lot of time out there getting those out of the dam and um just yeah being outside i suppose that was kind of i just what we did that was it we'd go to the beach and i don't know that's that was it it was pretty simple really we didn't have a lot of stuff and we didn't need a lot of stuff um which is one of it the sounds things like, I've, like yeah and it's one of the things I've tried to do with my own children but also in my work with children is to kind of keep that simplicity you know they just don't need like my favorite things to do now with my own children is to go camping and we go you know, we go bush and we have nothing. There's no toys. There's nothing to play with. It's just make your own fun. And sometimes that's really messy and goes a little pear shaped, but it's
0: fun. So with all that outside play, going to the beach, uh, digging for digging for critters, uh, where were the adults? How, what, what was the, what was the radius you were traveling in? Was it uh, all yeah. centered or was there some freedom there or what was going on? Nope. I was definitely still in that time where it was blissful,
2: adult-free play. Um, I just, you know, and it's it's an argument that I have with a lot of people now, you know, about really needing to recapture that for children because we, I think, as adults, particularly people, you know, similar sort of age to me, can kind of go well that's what i did as a child we spent all our time off you know we came home when the street lights were on and you know it's like you hear that again and again and yet those very same people are afraid to let their children outside unsupervised or to let them walk to the park or you know whatever and so i think that's that's been a big part of who i've become as an educator and as a parent is really trying to push for that to get that back because i know how valuable it was as a child it's like did we get into mischief probably but nothing that, you know, was couldn't be handled and, I don't know, I think kids can get into more mischief now in the bedroom on a computer than they can, you know, playing
1: outside. Is it is it more dangerous outside now than it ever was before? It's really
2: not and I think I actually had this argument with a parent at a birthday party the other day so that probably wasn't ideal. I didn't really know her very well but we just kind of got on a roll Um But, you know, a lot of the research and statistics and what it suggests that it's no more dangerous for children um, in terms of uh, what's actually going to happen to them. I mean, children who walk to school, it's far less likely that something's going to happen to them walking to school than they're going to be injured in a car accident on the way to school if you're driving them. Like, you know, there's those sorts of statistics that I think kind of back it up. I don't think there's more danger. I just think we hear about it you know, it's like we're in a 24 hour news cycle. We've got, you know, news on social media. We've got, it's just a constant, constant, constant. And we hear the negative. We don't hear the positive stories. And, yeah. um, you know, I can remember reading um, Lenore Scanese's book a few years back and just going, oh, I need so many people to read this and just see that it's possible to, you know, let the reins go a little bit without that fear of ramification or, and I think that's what it is for a lot of people. It's a fear that, they're going to be judged by others for that so we started when we started letting our son uh, walk to the bus stop on his own um, you know to catch the bus to and from school and whatever that was only like last year so he was 10 and my husband and I were like oh I think it's okay like I think he should be fine to do that it's like literally 500 meters it's not far Um, it's on a you know fairly well known road no one's kind of he's not hidden off in a corner somewhere where no one will see him if anything happens to him or whatever so we went through all this stuff and I said to my husband what were you doing when you were you know his age what were you doing at 10 and he's like I used to ride from his parents were separated he said I used to ride from one parent's house to the other through the bush over the mountains round past the dam and whatever he said it will take me about an hour and a half to get there on my bush bike and it was by myself and I'm like why are we so reluctant to let children do things like that now? Because nothing's really changed.
0: That was yes. a bit of a long winded diversion, but there you go. And, and, well, you say, and you say you talk less now? A little. <laughs> it can going. Were, were you, were you but going uh, but the, I
1: think it's important to make those connections from our, our childhood
0: to what we do now. Mm. With children. Were, yeah. were you going to the beach by yourself when you were little?
2: I don't think so. We weren't that close that we could. Mm. Um, so, but when we had like a place that we used to go on holiday at all the time and we'd sort of go down there for, and we'd go to the beach, it was one of those places you could drive your car onto the beach and it was a long stretch of kind of deserted beach. Um, and we used to spend hours and hours and hours down there and we'd roam off up through the sand dunes and, you know, down to rock pools and climbing over, you know, big rocky um, cliff faces and things like that while our parents, you know, dad was fishing and mum was reading a book or whatever. And they weren't there kind of, you know, right in what we were doing. it was like, yeah, cool, go off and do what you need to do. Um, so we weren't kind of there on our own, but we were pretty, you know, freely playing, I suppose. You know, we were able to try, kind of do a lot of things unsupervised. And then even as a teenager, um, I think it was before I actually got my driver's licence, so I must have been probably about 13 or 14. We started, uh, friends and I started deciding we wanted to go to the beach on our own, and the buses, the public transport was terrible, so we couldn't get a bus, and so in the end we decided to walk. Now, it's probably only a, I don't know, 15, 20-minute drive, but it's about an hour and a half walk for teenagers, and we'd walk an hour and a half to the beach just to be able to go to the beach on our own, so I don't know, you do the things you need to do to get there unsupervised, I suppose.
1: (laughs) Nicole, did you already say how many siblings you have? Yes, I've just got the
2: one. I've got one brother um, who's five years older than me. Uh And so we've got, and and quite a small extended family too. So we're not like a really big family. Um, My husband's got quite a few siblings and his family's a lot bigger, but yeah, mine's quite a small family. So it was really just us. So I, and I think that age gap to you know when I was sort of old enough to be able to really play my brother was kind of like I don't really want to play with her (laughs) and he would he would you know we'd sit and play lego and we'd play trucks and things like that and then I'd be able to convince him to come out and play in the sand theater in the cubby house or whatever for a little while but I think it was I was far more reliant on friends Um, I was really lucky my mum actually um, and I haven't really thought about it like this Um, before but my mum used to look after two girls who one was the same age as me one was about 12 months younger and they were sisters and um, my mum had become friends with their mum and she worked full-time my mum didn't Um, she was always at home for us and so my mum started looking after these two girls and so um, the older one and I would go off to school and then my mum would have the younger one and this was from when they were well the younger one was a baby and so my mum always cared for them Um, every day before and after school and then through the day with the baby and then as they got older. And that happened up until kind of the end of what we call primary school. So we were probably about, you know, 11 or 12, I suppose. And so I always had a built-in kind of playmate, I guess. So that was really nice. It was sort of like having an extra sibling. Um, And it's funny, I think about it now um, that that was probably my first example of that kind of childcare role um and i hadn't thought about that before that my mum actually did that for somebody else um and i just yeah i think about that now and think that was a pretty big thing to do you know to take on someone else's children 5 days a week and you know with your own children and yeah she did that and she still does that now with my children so <laughs> she's still doing the childcare thing was she was it an informal kind of situation it was really informal, yeah. They, they'd just become friends. And I think for I think at some point she, like, paid my mum that I, it was very informal and, mm. you know, we kind of just became enmeshed in each other's families and whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, I don't know, it was really nice, though, to have that. And what actually made me think of it again was, um, I'll have to send you the photo, Jeff, because it's great, but um, my youngest, who is six the other day came in and gave me a piece of paper and on it um, she's written this really long thing and i I'm just going to bring it up so I can read it word for word um she's been talking lately about how she needs another sister because her sister won't always play with her and so she's written topic is why we should get another sister firstly Marley can play with Bodie and I can play with my other sister and that is why we should get another sister we should I know it and I'm like <laughs> wow and so then I thought maybe we should do something else where we can have some more people come to the house because you know with the the work hours that I do and whatever they don't get to have friends over a lot and so I'm like I used to have friends over every afternoon or we'd be off at a friend's house We're also a little bit further away from the school um, that the kids go to. So it's not, I think like when I was a kid, everyone who went to the school kind of lived in a pretty small radius of the school. Whereas now, um, you know, children just go to different schools. Our children go to a school that's kind of a 15-minute drive away from our house. So there's not a lot of kids that live in our street or anything like that. So, yeah, I think that just reminded me of that, I
0: I think you're just making excuses. I think she. I mean, she makes a pretty good argument. She really Uh, does not. That (laughs) she has
1: failed. (laughs) I'm too old, man. (laughs) Too old. You used two expressions that um, I'd like you to clarify for American audiences. A push bike is what we would call a bicycle, probably. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not like three wheels or anything like that. No,
2: just a standard bicycle. Yeah, I don't know. It's usually a pushy or a push bike or uh-huh. whatever. I don't know.
1: We we like a lot of slang here. <laughs> and, then, and then you said something about a house outside. Was that a bush house, a push house? Oh, what?
2: like a cubby house. So cubby house. Yeah, I had a I had a cubby in my backyard that was um, just it was a built thing um I look back now and think it was built kind of out of um like sheeting that you would use to make an actual house and my dad built it whatever and I look back now and think it was probably like riddled with asbestos I don't know if you have asbestos issues there but asbestos was used here for a long time until they discovered it was highly poisonous Um, so it was probably full of that Um, but it had you know, it was up on stilts, and so we could climb up into it. It had a sandpit underneath and a slide out the back, and but it was completely my space, and I could do what I wanted with it. There was drawings on the walls, and you know, like it was a mess, and but it was completely mine, so I could do
1: whatever I liked with it. So it's a sort of equivalent to maybe something like a treehouse. We had yeah, in- yeah, pretty much like a treehouse, except
0: we didn't
2: have a tree to put it in, so it went up on posts. Honestly, <laughs>
1: Lovely.
0: Cubby house. I'll remember that. Cubby house. So at some point they sent you off to school?
2: Yes. I went off to school a bit early, actually. Um, So early compared to now. So I was probably, I think I was four and a half when I started official school. So before that, um, as I say, my mum had, she worked um, nights. She worked nights at the takeaway shop just near us that I still know the phone number for um, and the same people still own it. So um, there's that, but um, she worked nights and sometimes weekends there um, so that she was always at home for us while we were younger. So that was really nice. Um, And then, so I went to preschool, I think like two or three days a week and it was kind of um, more what we'd call here in Australia, like a traditional preschool back then. Um, which don't really exist as much anymore, but, you know, you kind of went between nine and three. So it was sort of school hours. You went set days. So you either went, say, Monday and Tuesday or Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like you had really set days that you went. Um, And it was just kind of like mini school, um, I guess. But um, I went back and actually did work experience in my preschool um, when I was a teenager. And yeah, it was very interesting to see it through different eyes, Um, But, yeah, it's still there and it still operates and whatnot. But it was attached to the school that I ended up going to. So um, there was a really nice kind of smooth transition into school and into kindergarten. So, yeah, I started at four and a half, um, which is fairly young now. Um, We don't tend to, in Australia, we usually start children as they're turning six, Um, although my youngest started at four and a half as well. She was all all just about to turn five, um, but the other two went at almost six. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like I guess I was just one of those kind of ordinary kids at school, I suppose. I probably rocked the boat a little bit. Um, what did really, that look like? oh uh, I had a really awful kindergarten teacher. Um, she was really, oh, really, uh, she was kind of like, actually, she looked like and sounded like the Trunchbull from Matilda, you know, Roald Dahl's Matilda. So she was very much the Trunchbull, um, very strict, very formal um, kind of woman. And I can remember, and I talk about this in some of the training that I do um, around children's art, and um, I can remember doing a drawing and taking it up to her and she said, that's not good enough and screwed it up and put it in the bin. And I just went... I was horrified I was man, and so I legitimately have this thing as an adult where I'm like I can't draw like my whole life I've been like I can't draw and I really do believe that it goes back to that like I've always been a creative person um, and like mum said as a child I used to have bits of paper and drawing and artwork and things cut up like she said you just have piles of stuff cut up she said but you knew where each thing was, and if I dared to touch any of it, you'd say, "Where's that bit of paper? You know that little yellow bit that I cut up and whatever." So, you know, she said, "You're always kind of creative like that," but that definitely tapered off. I think once school started, and I think um, in Jeff's famous words, "Once the craptivities crept in," um, I think I that creativity that word, but that's a good word. <laughs> It is it is because it is it's just that stuff that's you know the stencils and the you know we're we're all painting yellow ducks and they all must be yellow, and you know that really crept in, and even though I was able to adapt to that environment as an adult and as an educator now that horrifies me
0: so yeah. it horrifies you now, but you were you were good at it when you were going oh, through it yeah.
2: I was good at it. I was compliant and I could do those, you know, stencily things. If someone said, Here's a worksheet, fill it out, I'd go, Okay, no worries, I can do that. But now as an adult, I'm like, Ugh, gosh, why do we do this to children? Like it just it's one of those real topics that fires me up, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and you're right about that. Because I mean most children will will want to please the adults that they're that they're with. Yeah they need them for survival so they'll do stuff like that just because yeah and i think
2: you know it's just that whole you know i want to be compliant i want to do the right thing and i was definitely one of those kids um probably up until high school um i became a little more non-compliant in the middle of high school um, but yeah, early on, I was like, I just want to follow the rules and do what I'm supposed to do and tick all the boxes and whatever. And I see that sometimes with my own kids too. Um, they've kind of got, I've, I've got very um, perfectionistic tendencies and they're very much the same. Not so much the youngest one, she's the rebel. Um, but the other two really like to, you know, be compliant, follow the rules, do the thing that, you know, will get you tick 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 and I'm like oh how do I change that so hard
0: yeah so tell us a story about uh give us an example of this rebellion that came on in high school what did that look like I I had a feeling that was coming
2: look I I had a feeling too I saw Jeff I saw Jeff's face and I went well he's gonna ask about that so (laughs) I still wouldn't say I was a terrible teenager I was a pretty good teenager really um in hindsight um well maybe um I'm not I wasn't the teenager that I want my kids to be I'm like no don't be like that um but I don't know I kind of got to the middle of high school and started to realize that um you don't always have to do everything that someone tells you and so um I kind of pushed back a little bit at times um but nothing like major I just I like to argue a point and I like to be right. And if I felt like a teacher wasn't right, I'd like to tell them that they weren't right. And so I got into a few kind of disagreements um, with teachers. And I think that got worse as it got, as I got a bit older and then it got better again, just before school finished. Um, but I don't like the worst was probably my ancient history teacher in about year 10, I suppose. Um, and I think I got removed from that class several times Um but the worst one was because I looked at my watch and he said that's incredibly rude to look at your watch and so I argued about that and we got into it and I ended up outside on the veranda and that was the end of that but I don't know I think ultimately I wasn't too bad. I probably pushed the limits a little bit um, and then I met my husband in year 12 well he's my now husband he was't my husband in year 12 mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of our last year of high school, so I think I was uh, seventeen when we met and I was studying for my HSC. So it's like our last final exam that's supposed to give you your scores to get into university and all those sorts of things. And so I'd planned to do um, psychology at university. That was my goal. I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do psychology. Um, And then, well, as I think happens with young love, I got really distracted and didn't study as much as I should. (laughs) have, And so I just didn't get the marks that I wanted. And there you go I didn't end up in psychology
0: was there any of this pushback with uh with with at home
2: with the young love with the young love or
0: no with with your (laughs) parents no your pushback you push back at school and you you got into it with some teachers was there any of that at home
2: I thought you meant like were they pushing back about the fact that I stopped studying um and the answer to that is yes um but no not really like I don't know my mum and I clashed a little bit because we're fairly similar um and I suppose now as an adult and that we can have kind of adult conversations about that um I know that she was a very similar teenager to me um as well um so that probably was the cause of a lot of that frustration because she could see me being like her um and I suppose that'll be my frustration in, you know, 10 years time when I've got my own teenage girls. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't too much. It just just the basics. My mum would say, you know, you need to be home by midnight and at 2 o'clock my mobile phone would still be ringing because we had, like, I just had a mobile phone at that point. Um, and, yeah, my mobile phone would be ringing and I'd answer and say, yeah, I'm, like, literally five minutes away. She's like, get home. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. And then a half an hour later, my phone would ring again. I said, oh, I'm, I'm really around the corner. <laughs> I was never just around the corner.
0: <laughs> well, this, it, this isn't the first time we've heard on this show that uh, one of our guests had uh, conflicts with uh, with a mother in the in the teenage years. So uh, <laughs> you're, you're not alone there. Um, it's so, just a very grown-up toddler. Yeah.
2: Yes, very much so. That's exactly what it is. And as I see my eldest turning into a teenager before my very eyes and like literally before my eyes because he's almost my height now, um, I see him becoming a teenager and I think, oh, wow, it's like stepping back to those toddler battles and I'm having to remind myself pick your battles, pick your battles. Right.
1: Right. I remember when my son was 16 and he was saying something to me that was so awful. And I was looking at him and thinking what's happened to him. And no. then, oh, the toddler, the
2: toddler, the teenage toddler. Yeah.
0: The, the hormone, the hormones melted his brain. That's what happened. Yes. That's what happens. <laughs> so say you, what, how you, you didn't, you didn't get the marks you needed.
2: No, and that's kind of how I ended up in early childhood. And I tell people that story because I really ended up here by accident and um, not by dream. Um, I think so many people that I encounter now in early childhood will tell me, oh, I always wanted to work with children. I loved children. I babysat the local children and, you know, uh, that's so not me at all. Um, I didn't want my own children. I love them now, but I didn't want them. Like I didn't want children um, at that point in time. Remember, I was like 17 and trying to make life decisions. So I definitely didn't want children. Um, I wasn't interested in other people's children. I had no desire to babysit as a job or anything like that. And when I didn't get my mark that I wanted, and I was only just off too, and I was so, so annoyed with myself, but my dad said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And he said, I think you should do childcare. And I looked at him and I said, are you mental? He said, what? And I said, like, seriously, have you lost your, your mind? Like this, why would you suggest that? And he said, I don't know, but I just get a feeling that it would be a good fit for you. And I'm like, oh gosh. But then in the end, I went, you know what? I can go and do a course. And at that point in time, it was a six month course. And it got me like a basic qualification. So it's what we call it in Australia, a certificate three in childcare. Um, And so I thought I'll go and do that six month course. It gives me something to do. I was still, I had a part-time job. Um, I've always had jobs like since before I was even old enough to work. Um, So I had a part-time job still. Um, I think I had two actually. And then I went, I'll do six months. I'll go and do this course. And if at the end of the, the course, I don't like it which at that point I was thinking I won't like it Um, but I thought if at the end of that I don't like it I can walk away I'll have a certificate and I'll find something else to do it's just going to give me some time to work out what I want to do and so I signed up for the course and I think it might have been the second day um, we had a teacher come in and she started talking about brain development and it was like ding 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 all of a sudden I was completely fascinated Um, and I think it was that kind of psychology side of me that had been interested in that that went hang on a minute there's this whole side to working with children that is more than just I have to change their nappies and I'm going to have to sing twinkle twinkle little star and you know like there was so much more to it that I didn't realize at the time and so that teacher just starting to talk about theorists and brain development, and what I, I went, oh, hang on a minute, this is actually really interesting. And so I just kind of was hooked then. And then I found actually working practically with children was different from what I'd envisioned. So I kind of had this picture of what it would be like and that I had to be this, hello, I'm Miss Nicole kind of thing. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so not me. I can't do any of that. Um, and once I got past that and realised I didn't have to be that, and I could be an educator in my own way, then I saw that it was something completely different to what I thought.
0: So that was the day you realized to... that children had brains?
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. That was when I realized there's a brain happening in there and there are things going on. And, and I mean, that's still like, I still marvel at, all of that brain development stuff like every single day tash and i were just talking in our office before um about some stuff to do with brain development and i just went oh it just blows me away every day what the brain's capable of and how yeah just how things like that work and you know it still fascinates me so i think that's why i can still stay interested in it
1: and childhood is all about psychology
2: yes yeah exactly (laughs) and you know i i think now like I I do wonder sometimes, I'm like, what would have happened if I hadn't got, you know, railroaded into (laughs) into doing early childhood? Um, And so I ended up, once I'd sort of done that, I continued the studies um, so you could then increase it to get an extra certificate. So I did that as well. So that was an extra, uh, I think that was an extra 12 months on top of that. Um, And then that sort of gave me enough qualifications to get
0: out and kind of get a job. If if your dad was here, what would he say? And I, I mean we can't know anybody else's mind, but <laughs> what would he what would he say there is about you that made him think that was the right path for you? Because because obviously he was right.
2: I know, he obviously was right, and I have absolutely no idea. And I've asked him about that. I'm like, why did you even suggest that? And he's like, I really don't know. It's like I just got this feeling that. That was something you should do. And it was so unlike him to make a suggestion like that. He's not a interfering kind of dad. He's not a, I'll give you the advice and tell you which direction to go. And, you know, he's just like, yeah, choose your own path, do your own thing, whatever, you know, your choices, are your choices. And, you know, he's pretty kind of laid back in that regard, but he just, I don't know. I, I really don't know what it was because I still sometimes don't know what it was for myself. Like, I don't know. Why, you know, because, like, in all honesty, my children can drive me crazy most days. And I think, oh my gosh, why? Why did I do this to myself? Why do I have three? I'm outnumbered. I'm like, why? But
0: soon, soon to be when four. Working...
2: Not a chance, Jeff. Don't be silly. <laughs>
1: because of the sibling, because of the sibling request.
2: <laughs> Not a chance. She will continue to write letters, but bad luck for her. She'll have to deal with the rabbit. We've got a pet what, rabbit. That's it.
0: That's beauty. her sibling. You tell her she's got me on her side, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be working on her team.
2: Good luck. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I do I do wonder sometimes myself why he ever suggested it, and I just think did he see something in the newspaper that day, <laughs> or did he? You know, like is there something that he just kind of went? I'll just throw that out there in an attempt to kind of do the parenting thing. Uh-huh. You know, like I've been seen to have given some advice. You know, just, he's like, trying
0: I, to get you out of the house at some point. <laughs>
2: I don't know I don't know yeah I don't know what it was maybe that was it he thought if I get her to do something she'll get out and move out
0: you know had you done any oh go ahead I'm
1: sure he could see that you how you related to people what you thought about things that because you obviously are smart so you know I think
2: it probably was more that that I tend to think about things a lot and him and I do even now Um, and probably more so now we do have a lot of like in-depth conversations you know just about the world and different things that are happening in the world and whatever and I think you know we've sort of talked about that that we often have different views but I can always kind of articulate why I feel the way I do about certain things and and try and see different perspectives and whatever and I I don't know maybe that was what it was but I don't know I don't know if we'll ever know because I don't know if he really knows.
0: Yeah. So, did did you do any any babysitting type stuff when you in your teenage years? None. No way, none. Um, (laughs) I worked. So,
2: from when I was like, no, not quite old enough. Actually, from when I was probably about ten, I used to actually ride around on my push bike, um, on my bicycle, um, at like five o'clock in the morning, collecting money from. Um, elderly people who had their newspaper delivered and so I'd go and I'd collect their money for their weekly newspaper and put it in a little pouch and ride my push bike around you know in the middle of winter at you know five o'clock in the morning um, and I'd do that before I was even really old enough to have a job um, because we knew the local news agent so I sort of always had a job and then I uh, I worked in their news agent for a while, in their news agency for a while like in the shop and then I worked like one of the supermarkets packing groceries so like the furthest thing you could do from working with children just not not even remotely on the radar I didn't I, and I suppose I didn't have younger siblings so I was never responsible for anybody younger um yeah it just wasn't wasn't something that I'd ever thought to do
0: so Is what your was your father oh, so.
2: my dad yep yep so ask yep, him ask him why he's he's got no idea I don't even know if he remembered like sometimes I think that I'm like does he even remember that he gave me that push um and I don't know I don't think he sees it as a big deal I think it was just like a comment that he made one day like I think he should go and do this and I actually did it and maybe he was just so shocked that I actually did it that he (laughs) kind of moved on from it I don't know interesting I'll ask him again
0: well, yes. as as a father, if your if your daughters, if you suggest something that she actually follows through with something, I mean that's yeah, he, he, he's, that's a he's big probably achievement. yeah, yeah, he's probably got got that written down someplace. So when was when was your first experience with a classroom of children when you were being the adult slash teacher mm. slash caregiver was that after so, you finished school or was that as part of the schooling process or
2: well I did while I was in high school I went and did um like work experience at my old preschool so I kind of spent some time there and then spent some time in the primary school classroom as well and quickly discovered that I had absolutely zero desire to work with primary school age children so kind of that five to twelve mm. um not even remotely interested in working in that age group. Um, So then when I was doing my studies, we obviously did some work placement out in some childcare services and preschools and whatnot. Um, And then I just sort of picked up a bit of casual work um, doing that while I was finishing my studies. And then I got my first like full-time job um, and I walked in and as soon as I arrived at the service, I just went, oh, this is a place that I want to be. It was just It was a beautiful environment and I could just tell there was, you know, documentation on the walls and they they were already a step beyond where so many of the other services were that I'd seen. And I went, I want, I want this job. And so I did the interview and, you know, at the time, I think like I was 19. um, So I was young and, you know, they interviewed like 30 people and I walked out of there and I got in the car and I said to my husband, I said, I've got that job. And he goes, have you? I said, yeah said I've got that job and he's like okay as long as you're sure and I'm like yeah absolutely and I'm thinking inside I'm like oh my gosh there were so many people getting interviewed and blah 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 so I thought no I haven't got that job but we got home and was back in the days when we had a landline phone instead of mobiles and I walked in and I said um because my husband and I were both we weren't married at the time but we were living um at my parents place while we were trying to save for a deposit on a house and things like that So we walked in and I said to my mum, she said, how did it go? And I said, I've got that job. She goes, have you? I'm like, okay, yeah, I have. And then the phone rang and I said, that'll be them. I said, they'll be ringing to offer me the job. She goes, will they? (laughs) So I think everyone doubted that that confidence. I probably doubted it too. But I answered the phone and it was. And they said, yep, you've got the position. You can start on Monday. So I'd finished my training like the day before or something and then started a job, you know, a couple of days later. And it was supposed to be a six-month position. And I was at that service for 10 years. Um, So, and I became the director of that service as well. So it didn't, it very quickly evolved from a six-month you know, relieving someone who's off having a baby kind of job to um, you'll be here forever. And that place is still like home for me. Um, so, yeah, very quickly evolved.
0: That's so, an amazing story. I, I love the story. I love the confidence that first day.
2: <laughs> the false confidence, probably. But hey, confidence. you anyway. got to
0: you got to you got to fake it till you make it. That's um, right. That first day, did you still have that confidence when you were oh, in a that- room full of children?
2: That first day, I was, can I use an expletive? I was shitting myself. (laughs) Literally, it's such an Australian thing to say. I was shitting myself um, that I just thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. Um, And funnily enough, um, Tash, who is now my other half of Inspired EC, um, she was working at the service as well. She was a casual um, at the service. She'd not long sort of been there. Um, And so we just kind of fumbled along together a bit and we clicked in an instant um, over just little things. Like we just had so much shared um, passion for things and a shared way of seeing things that even though like the service, as I say, was kind of progressive at the time um, but not anywhere near what we wanted it to be. And so the two of us kind of become a little bit of a team and um, tried to set about making some change fairly quickly um so I think I was I probably was a bit cocky as a 19 year old thinking I could change everything and I you know okay you've been doing it this way in your service for the last 20 years but I'm going to come in and change it because why not you know why should the children have to line up to go outside why should we do four group times every day and you know I just started kind of challenging those things and um that wasn't always easy depending on who um we had a couple of different um like directors over those first few years. And so that wasn't always easy. It became much easier when I got to be the director myself because I was actually able to do something that I wanted to do.
1: It's wonderful, isn't it, when that happens?
2: Oh, uh, it makes such a big difference um, yeah. just to be able to, because I think it, it's that being able to feel, I guess, empowered to make some change and to do some things that you know are in the best interest of the children. Um, that you've been fighting for for a while, but you know, if someone determines that no, we're not going to do it that way, it's you know that it's frustrating when you're working. So Tash and I were together in the preschool room, so we had kind of three to six year olds, and you know we had um, staff who said, yes, these children all must lay down on a bed and have a rest for an hour and a half every day, and Tash and I both like this is crazy. Why do this? Why do this? You spend the whole time going, shh, lay on your bed. Stop touching him. Keep your hands to yourself. Shh, shh, shh. And you think, why, why do that? These children clearly don't need to sleep. They don't need to lay on a bed. Um, surely there's other things we could do. So once I kind of got to make some decisions and that was that, then became a big part of how I tried to be as a leader, you know, was to then enable people to make decisions for themselves and to make change you know I think that became a, a massive part um, of my leadership style was knowing that I'd tried to make change for so long and I hadn't always been able to um, so then hoping that I could empower others to do that.
0: So what did uh, the people doing the hiring at this place see in you that they didn't see in those other 30 people that led them to make that phone call that you knew was coming? I
2: don't know but I was definitely, I was definitely cocky, um, but it was, it wasn't real. <laughs> it was, I, I basically said to them, you need me. And they said, why? And I said, because, you know, they said, well, you are young and you, you know, just out of, um, you know, doing your qualifications. Why, why do you think it'd be a good fit? And I said, because I'm bringing new stuff to the table. I said, I've just learned a whole bunch of stuff. I said, and I'm ready to come in and try it. And I'm ready to challenge thinking and, whatever and you know i just kind of threw in a few things like that that i i guess i probably thought that but i also didn't know whether i'd be able to really do that um but yeah i guess i just kind of maybe sweet talked my way into it i don't know it
1: doesn't sound like sweet talk it sounds like passion
2: and i guess it is because you know i think that's the thing i've always been unapologetic about the things that I feel are important for children. Um, and so sometimes that works in my favour and other times not so much. Um, it can lead to a little bit of confrontation at times. But, you know, I think when you think that things are important for children to have, you know, certain opportunities are important for children to have, um, you know, that particular service, as I say, I worked there for 10 years and it's in a um, quite a low socioeconomic area really diverse range of families, Um, a lot of children uh, with diagnosed and undiagnosed um, additional needs, Um, a lot of children that are in foster care and out-of-home care. Um, We had children come to us from a local refuge, like women and children's refuge. Um, and so they'd come sometimes for like three or four weeks and then they wouldn't come again. And then they might come six months later. And so there was a lot of challenge there. And I think you've got to be able to stand up and fight for the things that you think those children deserve because nobody else is. Um, and I think that's why I would get pretty fired up about it because I'm like, hang on a minute, children can't always speak up for themselves. Some will try, you know, <laughs> you'll have some children that will try. But for the most part, they can't. And particularly those children, um, you know, those vulnerable children, they don't have a lot of people in their life who can kind of do that and actually, you know, be that voice and say, you know what, these kids deserve to be able to climb a tree. They deserve to be able to play outside even if it's raining. They deserve, um, you know, to be spoken to with respect. They deserve to be asked for their consent, you know, to, to do things to them, to wipe their nose. Like just those really simple things that I think, you know, I get riled up about because I think you know I see that with children who don't have that, and see the difference that it makes when they do.
1: Well, they they were enlightened people who hired you.
2: Well, maybe I suppose. <laughs> I suppose I so. they saw I'm somebody thinking, there. Well, when
1: I was a director and and would do some interviews. I always had a team with me that 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 helped me with the interviews. Um, and i always went for people who were really passionate or who were very self-reflective it didn't matter what their degrees were or anything like yeah. that more those kinds of characteristics
2: and i think that's what i always then looked for when i became a director was people like that i you know i think you can teach people you can teach people a lot of things you can teach them a lot of skills and Um, you know I can I can teach you about the you know the frameworks that we have in place for you know regulation requirements and all that I can teach you that stuff but I can't teach you to be passionate about what you do to be an outspoken advocate that's something that's got to come from somewhere else and you know I in Australia you have to be qualified to work with children so you have to have a minimum uh, qualification now but back when I first was a director you didn't and we actually had some people come and work for us um, who came to us as like volunteers one was a mum at the service and I just went man I'm desperate for casual staff I can't get anybody and she's like oh I could help if you need help and so she came and she ended up working at the service for years she went on and got qualifications but she had the passion there you know she's she had something she might not have had the qualifications to begin with but she had something else and you know it's like I can give you the qualifications I can send you off to training and professional development and I can do all of those things but I can't give you that thing inside and I think that's what frustrates me I visit a lot of services now um, as a consultant and that's probably one of the things that frustrates me most is when I see people that I think why are you here I can't see why you're here you know you're not making it clear why you do this or why it matters to you it's just a job and really I mean I know it's probably similar you know in the states but here it's yeah. like the pay's crap and you know I always say to people no one's giving you you know a bucket load of cash and a parade down the main street for doing the job that you do <laughs> so if you don't want to do it because it comes from somewhere else then go and work somewhere else go and get another job when I first started as the director I was still working so we were trying to save for a house and I was still working nights um, at the supermarket, you know, scanning groceries and I was earning more money scanning groceries than I was running the childcare service. And, you know, for me, I, I say that to people now because I'm like, I, you can go and earn more money doing something else. And I think that's actually probably what's happening here at the moment. We've got a massive shortage of educators um, at the moment. And I think that's why, because they're driven out of the profession because yeah. They don't have the, they don't have that, desire and they can earn more money somewhere else so they just leave
1: yeah what made you what made you leave that to do the inspired early childhood
0: i i can we we got i gotta get something cleared up before we go there I, i'm <laughs> really interested in finding finding that that jump too but how do you go from being a cocky 19 year old to the director of the program now <sighs> was it was it a melivac what's his name um, um, you know, uh, Oh, was it, was it, was it all planned out? Was it, was it, uh, uh, was it, was it your goal to be the director or was it accident? People just kept having babies and quitting and it then was, it
2: was sort of an accident. So I, I probably had that desire at some point. I'd probably talked about it at some point. Um, but I, so I'd been at the service for like 18 months, I suppose. So I was 21 and, I was actually off on holidays. We'd had a lot of different directors in that that sort of 18 months um, and I was off on holidays at the time and I was coming home from holidays and I got a phone call to say, um, so the director um, is no longer working here. They, they're, they're gone as of right now and as of tomorrow, you're filling in. And I went, what? <laughs> so surely there's someone that's a little more qualified or experienced or whatever and they're like, look, you know, the, the university trained teacher that we had at the time was only working, you know, two days a week. And, you know, there was just kind of no one that could really fit into that. And they said, look, we'll just do it temporarily till we get someone and, you know, see how it goes. And I'm like, Oh, okay then. And I was really lucky that I had Tash working in the service with me. And, you know, as you would know, Jeff, like Tash and I have been, you know, best friends ever since. And so we've been, you know, friends now for 18 years. We've worked together for 18 years and, I was lucky to have her because she's like, I've got your back. We're going to be fine. You're going to, you know, nail it. And I was like, oh, gosh. And so I just kind of, um, I always tell people now, I really fumbled my way through it for the first couple of years, just making mistakes and asking questions when I could ask questions and just kind of learning a lot of it as I go. And I think that's why I try to help um, directors now because I'm like, I don't want people to have to, do some of the stuff that I had to do to work out what I was supposed to be doing and I can remember sitting in my office going what am I supposed to do (laughs) what now (laughs) what do I do next Um, and I found it hard sometimes that um, transition from working out in the room with children I was I still spent quite a bit of time out there um, but I also had to spend a lot of time you know doing administrative stuff as well and it was a different transition but then I really made sure that I had a focus on um, I really wanted to be a visionary leader rather than just an administrative one and so it was like what's our big picture as a service and um, that's probably something I'm most proud of is that by the time I eventually left the service um, it, it had evolved so much and had such a, a high reputation within the early childhood community and you know people kind of know that service and would say oh my gosh are you from that service and did you do that and it's like yeah, kind of. And, you know, and I still, even now, someone will say, oh, is that your service? And I'm like, well, it was. And I still say it's mine, but it's not anymore. <laughs> I haven't been there for a few years now. But, um, yeah, I just, it was definitely a not a planned jump. Um, it was a thrown into the deep end, hope you can swim kind of thing. Um, but within a couple of months, you know, our management committee, so it was a nonprofit service, so it's managed by parents. Um, they said, we've got faith in you that you can continue to do
1: that job. If you want it, it's yours. And I'm like, okay, I suppose I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I think that people could recognise in you your ability all along. That's yeah, well, it's funny, better. actually.
2: One of the one of the management committee members, so I still see her occasionally. Um, her children are now like, you know, 19 and 20 or something, and one of them's having a baby and, you know, all this sort of stuff. So I it's very weird to see her, but... She actually said to me here about probably two years ago, she said, you know what? She said, I really had my doubts at first um, that you could do it. She said, I can remember thinking she's 21. She hasn't got kids of her own. She's only been working at the service for you know, a year and a half. What does she know about running a service? She said, and I did have my doubts, but she said, my God, you proved me wrong. And she said, and then that's the only time that
0: I've been really happy to be proven wrong. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, that's kind of a compliment, I guess. How, how, did, how did, well, pause for a moment there. How did that feel hearing that? Yeah, it was really nice
2: because, and I think too, um, this particular parent had had um, her child, and I talk about you know this story a lot in some of my training, her child had had some real challenges um, with sensory um, issues and behavioral challenges. And we'd had our fair share of ups and downs. And so over the years, once he finally, went off to school I still kept in touch with her because I supported her um, with him settling into school because it wasn't a smooth transition and he found himself suspended from school quite a lot and um, so I supported her a lot over those years and so for her to say that I think was really kind of yeah it was nice to hear because I think so much of what we do we don't do it as I said before you don't do it for fame and glory but it is nice to sometimes have someone say you know what I underestimated you and you know you really did Step up and do the thing that you needed to do, and do it well. And I think that's yeah, it's nice to hear. You don't hear nice things like that as often as you hear
1: negative stuff, I suppose. As my book's title says, everyone needs attention.
2: Yeah, that's it. I think even you know, as adults, you do. You kind of it's nice to hear something positive and go, okay, yeah, I am doing okay. You know, I I or I did make a difference. You know, it's I think, a very
1: tough job being a director, and most directors are sort of just jumping into it and have no clue how it's going to yeah. be. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a lot of make it up as you go along, and the things yeah. that you deal with on a day to day basis can be challenging. And yeah, I don't know, but that was a job I enjoyed, but um, not one I'd probably rush back to.
0: But then you enjoyed <laughs> it, but then you jumped ship and started your own business. How, what, what, uh, so
2: well, we actually, Tash and I started Inspired EC. Um, while we were both still working at the service Um, and it really came about because people kept contacting us and saying can you come to my service and show us how to do the things that you're doing at your service so we'd completely restructured our outdoor play space to make it more natural Tasha designed this amazing river and um, so she did some amazing playground design stuff which she still does now Um, and we were doing different things like You know, it was way before kind of we were hearing about nature pedagogy and stuff here in Australia and forest schools and whatever. And we started, Tash and I were on a lunch break one day and we went for a walk out in the bushland behind our service and we're like, why the hell don't we bring the children out here? This is an amazing spot. Why don't we bring them? And the staff were like, oh, it's so hard. There's so many hoops you've got to jump through and whatever. But we were prepared to kind of jump through the hoops to make that happen because we felt it was beneficial to the children. So we started doing that. And people just kept asking, can you come and tell our team how to do that? Can can you do a workshop on this? And so for a while we did it just as a bit of a what I think the young people now call a side hustle. We did it back then to fund our own professional development. So we would do workshops and stuff and we'd charge people like $10 or whatever, but we'd put it into an account and then we'd take ourselves off to a conference and, you know, things like that. And so we did that for a while and then um, in 2010 both Tash and I had babies kind of around the same time um, and so we'd sort of gotten things busy enough that she was able to step away from her work at the preschool and focus just on Inspire EC. and then I stayed at the preschool but kind of was still doing things part-time so we just kind of juggled the two for a bit and then once I had my second child um we kind of talked about it while I was pregnant when we think that's probably the best time for me to make the full step away. Um, cause at that point it was still just the two of us. Um, and yeah, we kind of, I went, all right, well, I need to find a replacement at the service. That's going to continue it in the way that I'd like it.
0: <laughs> you, just, you just quit and, and hire, a bit, hire a control
2: you ultimate control freak I was like I don't want it to go backwards I want it to continue to grow and that's it I didn't want it to stay the same but I wanted it to continue to evolve and become better and better and so I kind of handpicked my replacement before anyone even knew I wasn't coming back and um, had a bit of a plan in place there so that I could step away and feel like I'd left it in good hands because I think as I say it's I still talk about it as my service And, you know, I still have that attachment to it. So being able to leave and know that someone's looking after it and that those children and families and that community is supported and, you know, is going to continue to get really quality service was important. So, yeah, we kind of were able to then both be fully in inspired EC, and that's just kind of, I don't know, grown and evolved over the last 13 years ultimately. But, yeah, probably the last... I don't know six or sevens when it's gotten really crazily busy and kind of what it is now, I guess.
0: Well, talk to us a little bit about what that is.
2: Oh, what that is is so many do you guys
0: things. Yeah, talk to us about all the stuff <laughs> so you guys many do.
2: Things. So, it started out that we were just doing like training and workshops and the occasional bit of kind of consultancy. We'd go in and we'd talk to people about what they were doing and how they could, you know, try different things and whatever. And our, our ultimate thing has always been we're not experts and we don't proclaim to be experts and we don't want to tell people you should do it this way because um because I said so but our thing is to get people to question why they're doing things the way they are and to think about whether that's the way they want to continue to do it ask questions and you know it, it no two services should be the same they should all be different it's not about replicating approaches in different places um but yeah, so it sort of started out with that, with that training and consultancy. As I say, Tash was kind of doing um, playground um, and outdoor environment stuff with people. So really consulting on that, making sure that um, outdoor spaces for children were actually for children and like collaborated designed with children so that children had a say in what happened in their outdoor environment rather than here it is you've got a brand new playground as of tomorrow and it just doesn't fit with the way that children play Um, so she kind of she's still very much involved in that side of things but I don't know it's evolved over the years so now we've got um, so we are what's known in Australia as the approved provider for four family daycare services so they're services in four different states in australia and they have um we're kind of like the management body and then there's people who do education from their homes so i think at in the u.s it's like home-based care or something like that that sort of same thing um so we're kind of the body for that for in four different states and then we've also got we've just this year opened a like before and after school care um program as well um we've got our Timbernook. Program, which was the first Timbernook program in Australia. And I know, Jeff, you do um, the Timbernook Tips podcast with Timbernook. Angela. Um, and so um, we were really excited to kind of open the first one here in Australia. And Tash does the training for
1: um, the Australian area now. What is Timbernook? Uh,
2: in, a, in a really, really small nutshell, it's kind of a nature play program, but it's uh, really underpinned by occupational therapy. Um, those sort of concepts like just that it's a lot of the big body stuff that children actually need to be able to develop the skills that most people want them to have you know to be able to write and cut and sit up straight in class or whatever they actually need to be able to swing from a tree and roll around on a on the hill and you know those really basic things so we've actually got the school holiday program happening here now so there's like 32 children down on the back of our site at the moment going absolutely crazy swinging out of the trees and rolling and you know That's
0: founded by uh, Angela Hanscom, author of uh, Balanced and Barefoot. Yes, which
2: is an absolutely amazing book. Um, And yeah, Angela's amazing. Um, So yeah, we run that program here in Newcastle. Um, We've written a couple of books, and I don't know, we do lots of other bits and pieces now. We kind of, there's not much that we won't have a go at. And I think it's because you know if someone comes to us and says we need help with this can you help if we think we can help then we'll help um but a big part of it's been putting people in touch with other people as well you know making those connections um for people as i say we're not we don't know all the answers and don't claim to it's just um i think getting people well the whole reason behind the name was you know getting people inspired you know that should be it you should feel inspired to do what you do and if you don't then let's spark that And if that can't be sparked within you then Bugger off somewhere else. Just up now. <laughs> Get out so the children can have people that actually want to be there.
1: Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: such an Australianism again, bugger off. Um,
0: well, and I mean, you, you've you brought Angela Hanscom over there. You've had teacher Tom over a, a number of times. Uh, I've been there. We with brought the
2: amazing Jeff. <laughs> and, um
0: Peter, you brought Peter over, Peter Gray.
2: Oh, that was so exciting. Although it was funny um one of the events that we did Tash was actually supposed to um take Peter to to and from the event you know pick him up from his hotel take him to the event and at the last minute she couldn't I can't remember why but she said oh do you think you could go and get Peter from his hotel and take him to the event now as an introvert um I I always say that Tash is my icebreaker whenever we go to events and stuff Tash is the one that'll come in talk to people break the ice and then I'll kind of okay I feel comfortable now and I'll start to talk to people and so i I'm sitting there driving to this event with Peter Gray in my car and thinking, oh, what am I supposed to talk about? What am I supposed to do? I'm so nervous because I, I just love so much of his work, that to have him there. Um, And then that part of me kicked in that was like, you idiot, this is an amazing opportunity. Like, just start the conversation. And so, yeah, I was really kind of lucky to do that. But, yeah, we have we've got some amazing um people to Australia to kind of – um you know, just share different things, I guess. You know, there's a lot of people in Australia who still have no idea, like in the early childhood world, still have no idea who Peter Gray is. And I just think, one, are you living under a rock? But two, you need to know, like you need to, you know, read his work and you need to know um, what's out there. So yeah, that's been a big part of it too, is really bringing those people here and, you know, getting people into that.
0: I think over here in the States, a lot of people have a maybe incomplete view of what childcare is like in Australia. They see, they see certain programs that are, are, that are prolific on the social media and everything. And they think all the programs are, are like that,
1: Mm.
0: but um, that I wish that was the case. Yeah. I really
2: do. And people ask me now, so my children went to the service that I used to run. um, and people ask me now, Oh, can you recommend a service? And I'm like, I'll always recommend that one. Um, but there's not many others that I recommend. And, you know, there's a handful. And that that frustrates me and saddens me. I actually came uh, back from a consultancy visit uh, a few weeks ago. I came back to the office. I walked into the office and sat down and burst into tears. Yeah. And Tash said, what's the matter? And I said, I just don't know how much more I can see of this shit. I said, it's just shit practice. It's people that don't seem to care. They don't understand child development they don't understand like they've just got this really basic and I think how are these people getting through training for starters um you know that's another whole issue the training quality um but you know how are they getting through training how are they you know they're obviously staying in jobs because there's such a shortage so it's like a whole multitude of problems but you know I just I see the quality in some services and probably the majority and I just think, oh this is sad. And then there's, you know, and it's part of why I left Facebook, the Facebook, I left the Facebook as well, personally, because I just couldn't keep seeing, you know, I was in a lot of educator groups, and I just kept seeing the same lousy practice again and again. And, you know, oh, it's, you know, I don't know, recycling week, what activities should I be doing in the birth to one room? I'm like, what? Like, really? You know, and then people start putting up all their displays and their stencils and their crap artworks. And I just think, you know, that sort of thing really frustrates me. And so after I had a big cry about it the other week, Tasha's like, no, this is why we do what we do. And I'm like, oh, you're right again. Okay. So, you know, it kind of gives you that renewed, oh, keep plugging away at it. But, yeah, it can be frustrating sometimes.
1: It's not only in Australia.
2: Yes. Oh, I see that. I, see, I definitely see that. And I think that's it. People sort of, you do see some of those services, you know, even in Europe, parts of Europe, you know, where you see forest kindergartens and you see things that are happening and you go, oh, that's amazing. I wish we were like that. And it's like, yeah, but there's still services that just aren't. You know, yeah. it's, it's all over the world. And I think it's just, it shows a lot about what we as a culture and a society and, you know, a world kind of think of children. I suppose, and I think we've still got so far to go in terms of how we view children.
1: Yes, as Bruce Perry says, we're a child illiterate
0: society.
2: Yes, absolutely, that's that's the perfect way of putting it.
0: So, there's a lot of stuff out there in the world I imagine that can make you want to sit down and have a good cry um (laughs) are you are you early learning and work and solving the world's problems 24 7 or do you do you have things that you do to take care of yourself away from the work Uh, interests
2: it's hard because I feel like what I do for a job and I think that's what Tash and I have created what we do is so much a part of who we are that it can be hard to disassociate the two Um, like I obviously I do cut off and um, earlier this year um, my family went on a road trip out to the centre of Australia which Jeff's experienced for himself Um, it's a very vast interesting place so we went out there for three weeks and for three weeks I did not read an email I did not look at like anything I didn't hear from anybody I just kind of lived in my own little um, travel bubble Um, which was amazing. And we do a lot of camping and um, that kind of outdoorsy stuff where we just go kind of off the grid. We'll go, my husband and I have got recently, well, he's been into it for a long time, but we've started um, doing a bit of mountain biking together, usually on a Friday afternoon. So he finishes work early and I typically have Fridays off. So we usually go and do that on a Friday afternoon. And um, so I try to kind of cut off and I'm pretty good at, you know, once I get home, work in the afternoons or even if I work from home at just shutting my computer and that's it I can you know do other things and I've got three small humans who want me to do other things and need me to do other things so I need to be able to do that
0: a bit. Your photography is that all work related or is that something you do for yourself too?
2: No well it it more started out as something that I just do for myself Um, same with writing Um, so I've always written even ever since I was like could write I would write and write stories and whatnot and um, so I've always written and then once I discovered photography um, with like a digital SLR camera I was like oh man this is so good Um, and so I suppose it started mostly with my children I really wanted to take a lot of photos of them as they were growing and um, whatnot but I also like to take a lot of just nature photos and just photos in general. And then it kind of only really came into a work thing when people started asking and I'm like, Oh no, I'm not a photographer. Um, And then Tasha's like, you have to take photos. Like you take great photos. You have to just do that. I'm like, "Mm, okay. I suppose. So yeah, I do a little bit of that now, sometimes at services and whatnot, but yeah, it's more definitely more for pleasure than anything else. The photography.
0: Well, you've got a great eye. That's my experience with your photography is you've got a great eye what what does the what does the future hold where 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 is inspired ec going in the future and where is where is nicole going in the future because i mean you're still you're i mean maybe you're out of your first act but you're you're not into your third act yet you're i'm in
2: the middle i'm somewhere in the middle
0: yeah there's there's 30 or 40 or 50 years of uh productivity left in you so
2: I think so. I like to think so. Tash and I both say that we'll probably work till we drop dead. We'll probably be carted out of here from our desk or something. Um, but in in seriousness, note, though, both of us just see us doing this long term. And I think because it always evolves, it might look different to how it looked when we first started. But we, you know, we see us working together um, until, you know, we're ready to retire or, whatever and you know just to continue doing that and I think both of us are just so driven to do what we do that you know we can't see that stopping anytime soon um, so yeah I think we'll just kind of I don't know I, I, there's probably I, I don't, it's hard to say what the future holds because I think so far I couldn't have predicted some of the things that we've already done and you know that we've been a part of I wouldn't have ever thought that I'd have done those things so I don't like to kind of suggest what it might be in the future because we're really open to whatever comes our way and I think that's the thing sometimes an opportunity will come we go I didn't expect to be doing that but okay let's give that a go and see how it rolls and look sometimes that works out well sometimes not so great but we're prepared to give things a go so yeah I don't know I see just continuing that I suppose and hopefully continuing to just be an advocate for children and for you know, better quality early childhood practices. You know, I think that's probably the big thing. Is just you know, I want to see a difference in the way we treat children in early childhood, and you know, to see better quality relationships, um, you know, better quality environments, better, well, just less of a lot of things too. You know, less focus yeah. on yeah. so much, so much that I think we focus the attention in the wrong spots. Um, in early childhood programs you know so much of what I see online is just time filling crap that I think why and then people say oh but we don't have time we don't have time to sit and nurse that (laughs) child for half an hour because we're busy getting the activities ready for the babies and I'm like seriously the babies don't need your activities they just (laughs) like they don't need your junk that you've just put on the table and then you're hoping that they'll sit at the table and all do a handprint painting they don't need that they need you and so I'm hoping that
1: is this passion that you have, which I'm just loving to pieces, um, is this the reason you decided to do this interview with us? Yeah, I think so. Um, because, and I think to hopefully
2: that other people might hear that, and because uh, I think I probably had a lot of doubt early on because I wasn't that maternal, gushy, typical educator so I had always had that vision that it needed to be hello how are you and you're all cutesy and they'd be the one singing and dancing and putting on a show and <laughs> I was like I'm not that person and I just never will be and even if, with my own children like I'm not you know like I don't see babies in the street and gush over them in a pram I go what's up kid I make eye contact with them they make eye contact with me we might have a bit of a moment but that's it like I'm not super over the top like that and I think I hope that that's reassuring for people who aren't like that because I think a lot of people get that story that you and I don't know for a lot of people it is their story and that's okay that that's you know they they babysat and they always love children and they wanted to be surrounded by children for their entire lives and whatever and, and I get that if that's their story but if it's not I think there's a little bit of hope for those people that think I'm not you know I'm not that way inclined but you can still actually be make a
1: of so many of those people, not all, but many of them, it's um, a facade. They're probably also terrified of children underneath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and I think that's it. And I think I don't know. I just I think it's
2: you don't have to be that person to make a difference for children. And even you know to speak to children. That's funny. I um, my kids came here with me this morning to go down to the Timbertop program and. Um, my six-year-old walks into our office and there's written on a piece of paper is, you know, some ABR file or something. And she says to Tash, what's ABR file? And Tash looked at her and she said, so it's a thing that we download from our accounting program and it's a document. And then we upload it into the bank and it makes sure that everybody gets paid. And, you know, she explains this whole thing just in normal terms, not too overcomplicated, but she didn't dumb it down either. And Sage looked at her and went, okay, that makes sense. And she was happy with that. And I just went, why can't people talk to children like right. human beings?
1: So right, I agree. It's not
2: that hard. but And I think that's why Tash and I have always clicked together and why we've worked so well together um, from a business perspective is because we have that shared respect for children, I think, that, you know, they they are just human beings and you can actually treat them like a real human.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, and, you, and that way you can also recognise their potential.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I think you both share that same passion and your, your good counterbalances to each other. There's kind of a yin and yang thing going on. Oh, yeah, we're, you because- we're
2: complete opposites. We are complete <laughs> opposites personality-wise and whatnot. And look, the things that I love to do, she hates and vice versa. So, you know, we do balance each other out really well. Um, but yeah, we do have those shared because some people meet us and go, how do you possibly work together? Um, you're so different. And I said, it's just because we have the shared... Um, passion and you know kind of uh, I guess those really shared values about childhood and children and what early childhood education should be and I think if we can keep that then no matter how different we are we can still work together and I think that's what is lacking in a lot of services is that people don't have those shared values and vision for childhood and so then they get stuck and bogged down in all their I can't work with this person rubbish
0: You'll have to let her know that I'll be getting in touch with her about making her another vic- I mean, guest on uh, on the show, <laughs> not, not victim. Um, Nicole, <laughs> is there is there anything we haven't asked you? Any deep dark secrets you'd like to reveal? Anything like that before we uh, we start drawing this to a close?
2: I don't know that I have any deep dark secrets. I'm pretty boring. That's you know, that's said, exactly what somebody. Started.
0: That's exactly what somebody with deep dark secrets would say.
2: Well, that's true.
0: I would to so call you boring. It <laughs> wouldn't be a term I would use for you, Nicole. But I always
2: say that. It's like, I'm really not that exciting. Like, I just, you know, I'm much happier, you know, at home with my book or whatever, and that's it. But yeah, I'm not there. Yeah, I don't have big outgoing things going on, and my you know, life's just simple. And I was just, as you said at the start, like, my husband and I have been together now for 20 years. So, you know, more than half of my life, and we're just ordinary, boring people it's like our quiet family and just doing our thing and it's when I get into early childhood mode that I get riled up about things
0: (laughs) well Nicole I personally appreciate your your passion and drive and willingness to take things on um working with you I mean my relationship with Inspired EC was an email that said why haven't you come to Australia before (laughs) And I think I'm that
2: was like, cash. Yeah. She and was like, I'm,
0: why haven't you been here? <laughs> I'm I'm like, nobody's invited me and, and send me a ticket. And and then a few okay. months later, I'm on my way to Australia. So you guys, you guys are great. And uh, we've had a working relationship uh, for a number of years now. And I hope that goes on. And uh, any listeners who heard me a couple episodes back on the Child Care Bar and Grill podcast said that, say that uh, we were bringing Nicole on mostly for the accent. You can tell from yep. listening to this episode that there's a little bit more going on. <laughs> <laughs> than, that, than that accent. That's just a, it's just a bonus. Um, I definitely
2: saw that accent thing. Though, as was a bit of a personal challenge to throw as many like Aussieisms as I can. Well, I thought that's one that. thing
0: we could do yeah. is you could start bringing me Australian terms, and uh, yeah, I can try to figure out what you're talking about. What so, it is. Yeah. I think
2: we've done that with a few terms before. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we have done that with a couple of terms, but I reckon we can do that again because I've got a whole truckload of
0: like really great Aussie I, think it'll, I think it'll be delightful uh, hey any final thoughts I've, uh tomorrow
1: i've just so enjoyed uh it, the the not just the passion but the care that you have f- about um what children really need and what they deserve um i i was very impressed with that and so happy that you said all the things that you said about it thank, thank you it.
2: it was hard to stop once i got going well, See, it's that, that
0: mouthful of marbles underwater thing. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole,
2: I thought
0: it those... had gone away as an adult, but it really hasn't. <laughs> it doesn't go away. Nicole's one of those, uh, one of those, one of those people that gives me hope for the future. Yeah. This, this has been. Which podcast is this? This is Early Learning Journeys. This has been Early Learning <laughs> <laughs> Journeys, and we'll be back soon with another journey. Thanks for listening. Thank
2: you. Thanks for having me.